Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, normally we would save this for the bankroll conversation at the end of the show, but this was a unique enough heartbreaker for our cursed betting bankroll that I think it's worth opening the podcast with it. Last week, you bet over six and a half wide receivers taken in the first round of the NFL draft. Our guest, Matt Friedman, didn't quite endorse it, but he at least said he wouldn't go under because six receivers were a sure thing. You went with it, and indeed, six receivers were a sure thing. Six of them went off the board in the first 18 picks. All we needed was one more in the next 14 picks. I went to bed after pick number 22, still feeling confident, but the seventh wide receiver didn't go until the second pick of the second round. John, you're much better at staying up late than I am. So did you watch until the end of the night Thursday? And how agonizing was this sweat? Yeah, well, I recall that I named six players during that interview. And I believe those were the exact first round picks that were chosen. So, But once the picks got into the mid-20s, right after you went to bed, I started to realize why this bet might lose. Not because there weren't enough good receivers left, because there were too many. So if a team needed help a receiver in one other position, pretty good chance there was only one player of interest left at the other position. So the receiver, they know they can get later. In fact, if sometime in the second round, your second or last preferred receiver is chosen, then you can quickly eyeball who the next two teams are and figure out who to trade up to uh, to land your man and an imaginable cost since they may be teams who by then don't see any first round quality players left on the board. So they won't ask for much. They'll move down a few slots in the second round. So that bit of wisdom, while it was sort of a spoiler alert, it made me sort of peace with what I could kind of tell was going to transpire. So on the one hand, I think I learned something. And on the other hand, I don't know if it helps my strategy next year. This bet just as easily could have won. And by the end of the year, we may say if teams were smarter, it should have won. Yeah, um, it's all it's always clear in hindsight, uh, you know, yeah. what the what the strategy should have been or, or why it went wrong. But that is an interesting observation that uh, there's basically when there's a drop off like this, there are six clear ones and then there's a next group. And maybe there's not enough separating anyone in that group to make any of them urgent picks for anybody. I guess that's what what came into play here. But, you know, I guess uh, sometimes it's the bets you don't make that are your biggest wins. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, not that your bet was a bad bet by any stretch, like you said, could have gone either way but uh Friedman pegged this as a stay away he said he felt you know it could go either way so he didn't see value in it at, at the minus 110 and his instincts proved correct in this case um he definitely knows his stuff uh boy did he nail this quarterback draft he said uh <laughs> hammer the overs on draft positions of all the yeah. QBs the unders on the number of QBs to go in the first round it was crazy to watch Malik Willis who some thought the Lions might possibly reach for him at number two overall. Crazy to watch him slip to the third round. But uh, anyway, shout out to uh, Matt Friedman and uh, shout out to us for having smart guests on our show. Uh, yeah, if we're not smart, at least we have our guests who are smart. <laughs> there you go. 
All right. And our listeners who are smart. And we thank them for joining us for episode number 192 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 191 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. We didn't cash our over six and a half wide receivers bet. We're feeling down. So please lift our spirits by helping us cash our bet that you'll give us a rating of over four and a half stars. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by U.S. Bets colleague Jeremy Balin, the staff's resident horse racing expert, to help us preview Saturday's Kentucky Derby. We'll ask about this year's odds for the race, the square horse bets that people should really avoid, and, and more. But first, it's been a transcontinentally busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Even though a new state legalized sports betting this week, that's only our number two story on the docket because we have a huge one to discuss first. California has made progress toward maybe, possibly, not unrealistically, legalizing mobile sports betting later this year. On Tuesday, the political committee running the deceptively named California Solutions for Homelessness and Mental Health Act announced it had collected the required 1.6 million signatures to get the measure on the November ballot. This proposal for statewide mobile wagering is backed by seven major national operators, including the likes of FanDuel, DraftKings, and BetMGM, and it is on track to be one of two sports betting initiatives on the ballot. The other is a retail-only initiative backed by the state's tribes. The two proposals are not in conflict. They're complementary, one for retail, one for mobile. And we're hearing that polling is suggesting both have a real shot at passing by getting more than 50% of the vote. If mobile wagering comes to California under this plan, it'll be taxed at a mere 10%, with 85% of that tax revenue going to fund homelessness initiatives, and operators need to be tethered to a racetrack or tribal casino. And it favors the biggest operators, as to get approved in California, they'll need to pay a $100 million application fee and be active in at least 10 other states. John, California has become your new New York, the state you've been bearish on until finding reason to switch to bullish. So is now the time to switch? What do you make of this development? My first instinct, if I was a Golden Stater, uh, would be to vote no on the one that tries to tug on my heartstrings by pandering to our concerns for the welfare of those of us less fortunate. Mm. But my second instinct would be, if I pretend this is going to mean an 85% rise, in the amount of funding to the systemic problems, that might do a lot of good in the state. Might. I'm not sure. Um, interesting you use the word complimentary, Eric, because I'm not sure if the tribes will Let's say that about the mobile bill, even though they would get in on the action. I mean, having a monopoly on sports betting in the state would only at their casinos would mirror what Florida Seminole tribe has now for their casinos in that state. So, I mean, it may be a bad public policy overall, but tribes are liable to be focused on the welfare of, well, you know, their tribes. Um, now, I expect there could be a pretty nasty can you top this campaign on both fronts in California, given the amount of collateral available on each side. You know, cue the central casting couple where one says, I don't know about this betting bill. The other says, why do you hate homeless and mentally ill people? <laughs> that sort of subtlety, you know. Right. I'm a little surprised at the low tax rate, though, given how things have played out in New York with mobile betting at five times the rate that California is proposing. So, Eric, why do California lawmakers hate homeless and mentally ill people? 
<laughs> That's a, an interesting twist to put on it. But yeah, I I would imagine if this thing uh, gets reworked at all, that's that's one area that would get reworked is to raise that tax rate at least a little bit. Um, and, and you're right, the the me calling them complimentary, not in the eyes of the tribes. Uh, there already seems to be uh, some opposition coming from from the tribes. Um, and we should note that the measure isn't on the ballot yet. The signatures still need to be verified, but one assumes that part will get done. Yeah. But yeah, the, the bigger potential hiccup comes in the form of opposition from the tribes who, in addition to their retail proposal, there's a separate one, a proposal for mobile betting that they're trying to get on the ballot. And that's in the signature gathering stage. And if it gets there, it's definitely in conflict with the commercial proposal and it could throw a wrench in the commercial operators plans. Um, one tribal leader said of the commercial measure, quote, we will run a vigorous campaign against this measure and are confident the voters will see through the deceptive promises being made by these out-of-state gambling corporations. Now, I'm not so sure I share any confidence in voters seeing through much of anything, but that's another topic altogether. Um, as it stands now, the commercial measure is polling at 59%, at least according to the people behind the measure. So uh, again, uh, take that number, I guess, with a grain of salt. But I don't know. I, I suspect this story definitely has some twists and turns between now and November. But certainly mobile betting coming to California in 2023 seems a lot more possible now than it did the last time we discussed it. Agreed. Although those of us in New York and New Jersey, I mean, the amount of Caesars ads we got for about three or four months with the that guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm and uh, <laughs> right. Ali Barry. I mean, it was it was absolutely flooding the airwaves. And I wonder if California will be doubly worse off because they not only get I mean, that was all positive. You know, it was we're great by us rather than, you know, we're great. That other one sucks, which is what you're going to get, I think, in California. Right. Um, so I think the ad buys are going to be enormous there. And that just brings fatigue to the voters who are like, I, I got a lot going on. The economy is kind of a kind of complicated right now. And I, I don't I don't know. And so then what, what do they do? Would that mean they give up and they vote against it? Or do they say, oh, geez, we need money. What the hell? I, I don't think uh, I think a lot of these referendums have been very tough to predict. In, in smaller states, too. And so this one, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But the uh, you know, the lobbyists, and the advertisers, the marketers, uh, a lot of people are going to make money on it. So we got that going for us. Yeah, I would have to say if, if you're polling everyone in the country as to their least favorite types of advertisements, probably <laughs> number two right now is sports betting ads and number one is political ads. So this would be all of that all at once coming to yeah. California. It could be it could be a rough go for anyone watching TV out there. That's well put. <laughs> All right. As I teased during our first news story, uh, a new state legalized sports betting this week. That's our second story, or at least part of it. Welcome to the party, Maine, the first state to get across the finish line in 2022. We already discussed this story recently when the bill moved to the governor's desk, but now Governor Janet Mills has signed it. No shocking veto this time around. The law becomes effective in 90 days. No timeline for actual launch yet. So, Maine is the top line news out of smaller states, but it's not the only state making news. In nearby Vermont, a bill for statewide mobile wagering has been drafted, but not yet filed, and would allow for up to six mobile platforms with potential operators bidding their own proposed tax rates, similar to what we saw in New Hampshire and New York. Moving from the Northeast to the middle of the country, we have news out of Kansas and Missouri. 
Early last Friday morning, the Kansas Senate approved a mobile wagering bill after much debate and sent it to Governor Laura Kelly. This is a wide open bill that allows three skins per casino like New Jersey, and it includes a clause requiring sports betting to launch by January 1st, 2023. But we're still waiting on the governor's signature there. And next door in Missouri, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, a filibuster last Wednesday night appeared to kill hopes for two bills passing this year. But this Wednesday night, one week later, our colleague Jill Dorson reported that a new bill was about to be introduced and has a chance at moving quickly before the session ends next Friday, May 13th. Then again, another one of our colleagues, Bennett Conlin, told us just before we started recording this podcast that the bill ran into some pushback during late night, early morning debates and said it's, quote, a little murky whether it can get done. John, four states to choose from. What would you like to comment on here? Well, first, finally, we have a state that seems to have looked at the pioneering New Jersey model and realized they could learn a little something from that. So mm. good for you, Kansas. And as a bonus, we're going to give you, I think, a bonus year or two of Kansas City money crossing the border in the way that many New Yorkers did to New Jersey from mid-2018 until early 2022 when New York finally woke up and legalized mobile sports betting. Uh, Vermont looks pretty good. The main law, not so much in terms of competition. Uh, now, for us, the bad news is that more states are moving forward on sports betting legalization so that eventually more markets will mature, may lead to a decrease in online searches, uh, tying to learn where their state stands on a confusing and relevant issue to many residents. But that is more than made up for by the fact that only a few states have woken up to the cash cow that is online casino gaming. Mm. <laughs> and that state by state legalization will happen. But at this rate, it's going to take well past my sell-by date to happen. Might even start creeping up toward yours. So I'm okay with this trade-off, actually. Yeah, I'd say we'll still have stuff to cover and business will be good for a, for a while to come, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, you talked about uh, people crossing the border uh, from Missouri into Kansas. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the revival of hopes in Missouri overnight has a little something to do with Kansas nearing the finish line. <laughs> Had Kansas sputtered out for this year, I'm sure Missouri would have been more patient, but uh, they have to realize that tax dollars will be flowing across the state border if they don't do something. So they're at least, again, considering doing something. Um, but yeah, to me, the big story is Maine. Congrats on becoming the first state to legalize in 2022. But also, this is such an unusually structured approach, as we discussed recently, the tribes that have little to no gaming experience are in charge and the two brick and mortar casinos in the state are shut out, although they could partner with the tribes, possibly. But it remains to be seen if any of the big names in mobile sports betting can find their way into Maine or how hard they'll even try, given that it's the 10th smallest state in the country by population. But I think this is a state that will remain interesting to track in the months ahead, sort of referring as you just were to us having things to report on. This is a case where even if they're legalizing it, there's still a lot to report on for months and months to come because them legalizing sports betting is, is really only part of the story in terms of what's happening in Maine. Yeah, I'm wondering if the main tribes even said like, hey, we really want this, you know, we don't know anything about it, but we're really into it. Or did they just sort of throw in the, hey, you know, include us maybe a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's yours. So, oh, OK, <laughs> peace. I don't know. What are we gonna do? You know, yeah. So probably the best people they could talk to are the brick and mortar casinos to say, um, yeah, I don't know how we got a piece of the action here, but uh, maybe, you know, you should run this thing for us because we don't really know what we're doing. Right. Yeah, could end up going that way. We'll see. Uh, all right. Our third and final story this week. 
is a little different from all that legislation and legalization news. The 2022 Sports Betting Hall of Fame class has been announced, featuring, sadly, zero past gamble on guests, although perhaps we can change that in the weeks ahead. Uh, anyway, this year's four inductees are Chris Andrews, the longtime sportsbook director at South Point in Las Vegas, Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, Sandy Draws, the vice president of U.S. bookmaking, and Vinny Magliulo, the VP of Las Vegas Dissemination Company and the sportsbook director for Gone Gaming. They'll be inducted at the SBC North America Summit in New Jersey in July. John, you know more people in this industry personally than I do. Do you know any of these four inductees and any thoughts on any of them? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've interviewed Chris. Uh, by the way, his announcement of this honor came almost like simultaneously to the hour with his Twitter account being hacked, which mm. was uh, kind of brutal. Um, that's a hell of a yin and yang there. You know, I mean, yeah. that's such a hassle. And he went through it and he, he tweeted out about how like, he tried to get in touch with Twitter, which is comically not going to happen. There's no there are no people there. This is uh, he, he doesn't have Elon Musk's direct phone number. You don't yeah, think? Yeah, well, that's what you'd need, I think, to get anywhere with Twitter. So he got a new account and all. But that's just a weird combination. It's a great lifelong honor. And then you got this hassle for a couple of days, but right. so good for Chris. And uh, Sandy's a business partner with two-time gamble on guest Vic Salerno. So we lose only one degree of separation there. But I think not only should we seek out all four of these honorees for the podcast, but uh, maybe we double back and lend any previous winners we have missed. You know, I know Chris Christie was in, the, I think, the inaugural class a few years ago. And at G2E that year, he told me he'd be happy to come on the show. And I went 0 for 1 in my email attempt at a follow-up, which doesn't show me as being very resilient now that I think about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you know, uh, you, you know where I am uh, politically. And so uh, I won't <laughs> say no to, to former Governor Christie, but I'll be I'll be the passive person in terms of getting him on the show. I'll let you handle that. Um, I guess perhaps the most interesting of these is Paul Burns, because it makes a statement about the added importance Canada is taking on in the North American sports betting industry. Um, he told U.S. Bets' Greg Warren, quote, the induction was a surprise. Maybe that's just him being humble, because uh, certainly the timing of inducting someone instrumental in legalizing in Canada does make sense right now. Um, anyway, yeah, we got four names to add to the list of potential future guests on Gamble On. That's a good thing, I think. And uh, I have to wonder, when do sports betting media members start getting inducted? <laughs> I'm not asking for me. Uh, I, I, I have a better shot, although still a long shot, uh, at the Boxing Hall of Fame someday. Uh, but you, John, I'm not ruling out that I might someday be co-hosting this podcast with an active member of the Sports Betting Hall of Fame, given your coverage in the critical periods in New Jersey. I mean, you know, we're, we're not there yet. They might need to start running low on names and get a little desperate. But still, I, I think it could happen. I'm right in the New Jersey Hall of Fame, which has been around about 10 or 12 years. And uh, now, if you take not only people who grew up in New Jersey, but people who are connected to it, lived there a long time, whatever, you know, early on, it was like, we've got Einstein, we've got Edison. I mean, it was just, you know, an embarrassment of riches. And so they kind of doled them out carefully. And even actors, you got, you know, Tom Cruise and Bruce Willis and Susan Sarandon, Danny DeVito. I mean, you know, millions of them. And then singing, you got, you know, Frank Sinatra, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, it's like I said, there's so many, but they've over the years, they've had to be careful because eventually it's like, we don't want a real crappy class. So right. people, people should have been inducted right away. Got delayed, delayed, delayed because we need a, a marquee guy for next year or gal for next year. So uh, yeah, I think if this goes on long enough, who knows, but uh, I wouldn't <laughs> hold my breath. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned uh, when you go in john you are a marquee guy okay okay sounds good it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview 
It is Kentucky Derby Week, and in past years, we've had to reach outside the U.S. Bets family to find a horse racing expert to join us on the podcast, but not anymore. We now have our very own award-winning horse writer on staff, Jeremy Balin, formerly of Blood Horse, now writing for U.S. Bets, Sports Handle, etc. He writes the Wednesday Ask a Bookmaker column and the Friday Get a Grip Roundup, and he joins us now for his second Gamble On appearance. Jeremy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a big week in, in my world, so I'm glad to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so before we get into the field for this year's race, um, I want to follow up on the fallout of last year's Kentucky Derby, which didn't have an official winner declared until February 21st of this year, when Medina Spirit was finally disqualified and Mandaloon named the winner. And of course, Medina Spirit died in December. There's all sorts of legal stuff flying around with Bob Baffert. How much of a pall do you think this is casting on this year's race, either for the general public or for the hardcore horse racing community? So this is one of the things I'm going to write about in the, the couple of previews that we're going to we have planned for this week. But I'm not on the ground there, so it's a little difficult. I'm, I'm operating through uh, people I know in the industry and media members I know in the industry just to sort of get the temperature of what it's like. And I think that the stance that Churchill Downs unofficially took uh, last year when they suspended Bob Baffert for two years was that nobody is bigger than the Derby. And I think to uh, this week that has been proven true. Now, there may, not, there may be some aspect of uh, he who shall not be named, right? But, you know, his barn is cleaned out. All the signage is gone. It was like a, a Derby Week. The Baffert barn is like a staple, right? Everyone sort of flocks there, not only because he has these very good horses every year who are often favored or, or right there, but he's... Train triple crown winners. He is the man at the Derby. So I've somebody called the barn there now, like a, a desolate wasteland to me. Hmm. Um, there's there's horses in there, but there's no signage. There's no nobody really knows who's in that barn right now. There could be a couple trainers. Um, so I think horse racing does a good job of compartmentalizing during controversy, hmm. and um, maybe that is at play too. But it helps that this is such a great race. I mean, this is probably this is since I've really been paying attention to horse racing full time. This is probably the best betting race that I can remember. Um, there are two legitimate stars that are sort of the the leading uh, horses on the morning line, but there are a lot of horses who could be big prices that can run. And a couple of wild cards um, that make things very interesting. Okay. And so it uh, could, could well be a case where if this year's race lives up to the sort of expectations that, that you're setting there, that all it takes is, is one good race, one clean race without controversy, and the 2021 race is basically forever pushed to the past, uh, you think? It's been washed away in as many ways as they physically can at Churchill Downs. They've taken down Baffert's name. They've taken down all of his stuff. They've taken down Medina Spirit's name from the Kentucky Derby winners list in the paddock. Um, but 
that all changed. You can throw all that out the window if one of these horses who he used to train, who's now trained by Tim Mac- Yakteen, wins the race. Then it's right. going to be a huge deal. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, Jeremy, the Kentucky Derby is a little bit like the Super Bowl in the sense that uh, people who like sports and who follow it, um, but some sports more casually than others, this is like one day of the year. They're going to they're going to bet some money, some maybe some serious money because they're into it. They're bandwagon people, basically. And it seems like horse racing sometimes attracts some of the dumbest bettors. And I'm wondering either firsthand or what you've heard through the grapevine of uh, some of the dumbest bets you've ever heard. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, if you bet 500 bucks on the fa- on a heavy favorite uh, to show coming third place that's probably not a good return on investment um if you bet five horses out of ten to win all to win that's probably not a great idea so i'm wondering if you ever uh, firsthand like i said or or through the grapevine i've heard of some of the you know most foolish bets you've ever heard of and are there some that aren't obviously dumb that actually the novice better tends to fall into first of all never bet to show just yeah. don't, don't don't do it like Cashing a ticket for a few cents just doesn't do anything for me. And why gamble if you're just yeah. playing for a, a tiny amount? But I never want to talk. I mean, and there's some things you can do with show betting. A show, a show parlay is fun to do. Like you can get a group of people together, put a bunch of money, and just try to show parlay through an entire card. That's something that you it's fun and something that can sort of build a, a party around or something like that. Um, but if you, but it's uh, wagering on the Kentucky Derby is all about context. If, if this is the only race that you're going to bet the entire year, you know, I'm not going to talk you out of any wager, um, have fun. But if you're a regular horse player, or if you're playing the entire Kentucky Derby card or the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby card, uh, you really shouldn't deviate too much from what you, how you normally operate just because it's the Derby doesn't mean it's going to pay more. Right. If you have a a good opinion on an undercount, I mean, this is all easier said than done, right? (laughs) Because everybody sort of goes a little crazy on the Derby. It seems like, but um, you don't have to go crazy just because it's the biggest race of the year. Um, If you love a race earlier on the card or earlier in the day, hammer it. Right. And then maybe take it easy on the Derby. (laughs) Um, But uh, a good bet is a good bet and a bad bet is still a bad bet. So my advice to people would be bet the way you normally would and don't put it on a, don't put it on too much of a pedestal. Like you think you have to play all these exotic wagers and try to bust it open. And then how often does that work out? So yeah, it sounds like so somebody who likes to play parlays it would be more sensible. They can try a 50 to one shot because they're used to they don't win very often. But if they do, they get so much out of it. They enjoy it. And if somebody's a little bit of a tighter player and they just play like you know, NFL point spreads and they don't even do money lines, or, you know, then then maybe you're you're going to look for, you know, one of the favorites and, and maybe bet a little bit more, but figure you got a better shot to win. So that's like an overall betting philosophy and add that into what you do at the Derby. Right. And this idea of playing multiple horses and covering yourself, like, don't, don't hedge. Just if you have an opinion, play it and that's it. If you're, if you're going in once a year and you're worried about grinding out a minor profit, like what, why even wager? Right. All right. So, so you mentioned what an interesting field this is and, and what a competitive race it could be. I see that after the post positions were announced Tuesday, some of the odds moved significantly. Um, 
correct me uh, on my pronunciation if I'm getting any of these horses wrong, but uh, <laughs> uh, Taiba, is that right? I was... think it's Taiba or Taiba. Yeah. Something okay. Like One of those uh, was the second favorite uh, initially, but he drew the number 12 post and dropped to sixth in odds at 12 to one. And Zandon became the favorite in the race at three to one ahead of previous favorite epicenter because he drew number 10. How do you feel about these moves? Are, are the post positions as consequential at the Derby as these odds movements say they are? I, I ripped the morning line maker on Twitter right after it happened. So okay. it's, um, <laughs> I thought that Taiba would be third choice and now he's what fifth or sixth choice. Right. But in discussions and handicapping the race, there are some red flags for Taiba. There's a sort of a weird, we're really getting into inside horse racing here, but there's some weird work patterns. Um, he's, I mean, if, if, if he were to win this race, it would be groundbreaking. Like justify the way he ran the race. Uh, he had a two-turn allowance race before the Santa Anita Derby. This horse has two races. It's not unprecedented, but it would be unprecedented in the modern age for a horse like that to win. So I get it. I still think he's going to be shorter than 12 to one. I still think it's a bad morning line, but I'm starting to inch closer to like, cause I'm going to, I'm, I'm leaning toward tossing the horse entirely um, for a number of reasons, but um, the morning line is just a guess. It's just one person's opinion. Um, so if you look at, you can look at overseas markets and you can look at places where uh, futures are offered and you can get a better sense of what it might look like. And, and some of the, the morning line was is fantasy land. A lot, most of those 30 to one horses are not going to be anywhere near 30 to one. They could be 50 or 80 or gigantic prices. For some reason for the Derby and the modern morning line, they don't like making horses higher than 30 to one, whether it's, You'd have to ask them why they're doing that. There's some speculation as to maybe, you know, owners of horses don't want to be embarrassed that they have no chance or something to that effect. Again, I don't, I don't really care. What I'm going to be worried about is you're going to be able to see Friday and Saturday, what these prices are. Then you're uh, after the Kentucky Oaks, you'll be able to see what the will pays are for the Oaks Derby double. And all of those things will give you little snapshots as to what the, the wind pools are going to look like uh, at post time. Okay. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the odds movement on Taiba isn't, or Taiba, um, if, if that horse wins the race, I'll know how to pronounce it afterwards, <laughs> but, but that it, it's not so much that it moved because of the post position. It was more sort of a reassessment, rethinking what this horse's chances are in this race. And maybe it was kind of overrated initially, you're saying. One person, Mike Battaglia, decides who the, okay. the morning <laughs> line is. Um, so it's not it's not that the odds shifted. It's that one person's opinion, which had not been published before, okay. wasn't disclosed. So um, these are, like I said, fantasy land odds. We will know when the pools open where everybody stands. And favorite is to be decided because uh, it all depends on uh, uh, Brett Smiley's favorite person, uh, Matt Respect. <laughs> I love Mattress Mac. Uh, yeah, so Jeremy, New Jersey has rolled out 
five or six unique uh, horse race betting propositions in the last few years. And uh, the one that's getting the most attention now is on Saturday at Monmouth Park, uh, they'll be offering fixed odds. So as I say, the 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 odds you bet are the odds you get. doesn't matter if it's the day before, hours before, you know, late movement, whales come in, none of that changes. So it's only going to be raced at Monmouth Park for the, for the start and only win, place, and show to start. And that's a minority, actually, of the handle at Monmouth Park, the exotics. Uh, get more money. So I'll start with that one since that's the one getting most attention paid to it. The idea of cannibalization of the paramutual pool that a lot of horsemen fear. Uh, how do you feel and what the kind of uh, feedback do you see from people? How fearful are they of this? I think any new thing sort of immediately inspires fear within the horse racing community. They're so uh, apprehensive to change and that's a big reason why that sport is uh, in the spot where it is. Um, but cannibalization, I think, is a legitimate concern. But I think people are, and this might be specific to the people who are supporting fixed odds wagering, the bet, make, bet, bet makers of the world and the Monmouth Parks of the world. Um, fixed odds have, have a long way to go to gain mainstream stream acceptance here. Um, for me, I'd much rather have paramutual wagering with less takeout, uh, which is which can range from 12 to 15% to as high as the mid 20s on some multi-race wagers. And for these ridiculous predatory jackpot wagers into the 50s and 60s on effective takeout. So sure, people will like to lock in their prices on certain horses, but how much money of that is going to migrate over? I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows. And there are other concerns with fixed odds uh, in that if they are handled by sports books, which they will be, um, how will winners be treated, right? We know how many are treated on the sports side. We see those complaints all, all the time. Um, so there is a fear that if, if winners are booted out of the fixed odds markets um, or if they're limited in the fixed odds markets, they will then play exclusively in the paramutual pools because they will be required to. They, those are the only two options. While the dumb money or dumb, quote unquote, dumb money, right? Or square money will stay in the, the fixed odds pools. So now you have this like recreational fixed odds or uh, fixed odds market where people aren't winning customers aren't winning and then you have this super sharp paramutual pool which is already hard enough to win at <laughs> now and now it just it, there's a potential for it to be even more difficult because all of this sharp money will be in there so that from from the customer from the from the horse player side i think that's the main concern from the horseman side, they're going to be concerned about all of this forever because they are concerned about everything because purses keep slipping in certain places. You know, things things keep going in the wrong direction other than the places that have like historical horse racing and other subsidies and things like that. So I, did, I don't have a great answer to your question, but um, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly how viable it is okay and there's about let's say four or five other unique uh 
efforts New Jersey has made. They're very little known, partly because they've been very little played. They haven't succeeded. But I'm wondering which of these might appeal to you most and least. Um, one is in-race betting. So 20 seconds into the race, a horse grabs a lead and you don't buy it at all. So you bet against that horse against somebody else's exchange wagering. Um, also, you can bet on a horse not to win. Right. Sometimes. The, you know, say the Derby, especially like the, maybe it's a good favorite. And you're like, I know that horse is not going to win. I don't know who is going to win. So <laughs> I'm going to spread my money around. But uh, what I really want to do is bet them not to win. That's a, that's a bet I can win. Um, also, uh, and this is kind of like uh, you'd see in the NFL or, or even the NBA where um, you can bet on the horse to win by more than three lengths. So you not only want to put a hundred bucks on the horse to win, you think he's going to dominate. And then, uh, you know, that can get you, get you better numbers. Um, you can do, um, you know, one and a half to three lengths, you think he's going to win, not by a nose, or you can better than win by a nose. That's what, you, that's what you expect. That's like, you know, Eric likes the boxing, you know, under six rounds or by decision or whatever, like not just win or lose, but little of that. And then there's even like um, multi-sport parlay, you know, Monmouth Park a few years ago had, you bet the 10th, 11th and 12th race winners at the Haskell uh, combined with the Sunday night baseball game. It was Cubs Cardinals that first year. Um hoping to appeal to a regular sports better who's like, you know what? I, I want to mix in some horse racing with my regular bet. So any of those uh, stand out for you or not? Cause I think they're all going to come to the U S eventually and New Jersey will probably revive them first, but none of them have taken off yet. I, I, I particularly like the idea of matchups or of the, That's another an, one, yeah. or the anti bet <laughs> that you yeah. talked about the yeah. anti, because uh, my, I sort of get excited about a wager when I'm against, a favorite, yeah. but when you fade those kinds of horses, uh, you don't end up always winning in a paramutual pool because you still got to select the right horse to win yeah. or yeah. to be in certain spots, right? So uh, even if I'm on the right horse to play against, that can you can be end up losing money, and that's frustrating because you feel like your 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 opinion is right, you just couldn't quite get it there. So I like those those ideas. Um, uh, the, the cross sports stuff, that is way too much for me. <laughs> that's, that's way too much thinking and the margins, man, because you, you, like, if you're going between, like, if a horse is obviously going to win and they sort of get geared down at the end and into like a gallop, yeah. you know, now you're playing with fire. Just let me bet who's going to win or who's make it, make it a little simple for me. Yeah, you got backdoor covers, just like you have in football. All of these ideas uh, are are going to be coming in. It's just a matter of whether, like with fixed odds, it's been so successful in Australia. And the question is, is that is the market in the United States and the available horse players that the target, is that applicable? Is that a, will that have a similar success? Uh, I know people who are excited about it. I know people who are very skeptical about it. So we'll, I mean, the best way to learn is to try it. So. Um, all right. Well, b- before we let you go, uh, I feel like we, we ought to uh, try to squeeze a quick prediction out of you. I mean, we, we try not to be touts here at U.S. Best, <laughs> but nevertheless, we, we just That's talked sure. uh, Derby and horse racing for 20 minutes or so. Can, can we get your quick uh, uh, couple days in advance of the race? Uh, do you have a, a winner pick you're leaning toward? I have leans. Yes. I, um, I still haven't done the full replay work. I like to really go into all the replays of all these horses before a big race, like the Kentucky Derby. Um, but I'm definitely against a few, uh, I'm against Mo Donegal, uh, who's a deep closer. That trip just requires so much 
you got to dodge and weave and can't get stopped. And there's, there's a lot. So that's a big against for me. I'm against Taiba for the reasons we talked. I'm also the, you know, Mike Smith, who the jockey, who's won a bunch of big races. His name is big. His nickname is uh, big money, Mike, but he's in his mid fifties now and is allergic to saving ground. So he's going to be in the middle of the racetrack most of the way. And that's a tough way to win the Kentucky Derby. Um, I saw Zandon uh, schooling in the paddock today. And that is one of the most beautiful horses I've ever seen. Um, I'm not a big fan of playing three to one, seven to two horses in the Kentucky Derby. But if I were just to pick on the horse I like best, that's probably the one. Uh, He has the best positional jockey in the country who is going to get him in the right spot. But as far as like a a bit of a price, um, I like the Japanese horse a little bit, although he's got a lot of steam crown pride he ran super wide through the the uae derby um uh, and still finished and i also like what's the other pledger's name oh charge it uh he had like a weird trip in the in the florida derby and he was a little green finishing sort of wandering in and in and out of the stretch uh, of that race so with a little bit more maturity maybe and running straighter he might be a, a big price uh that can that can run well um, but yeah, those are the, those are the ones that I'm also not tossing Messier, uh, for the hockey fans out there. Okay. He got beat by Taiba in the Santa Anita Derby, but, um, I've seen this movie before. Did Messier guarantee victory? <laughs> uh, I talked to Kim Yakteen, the trainer who took over for Tom, uh, for Bob Baffert, but, uh, he's being very professional and not falling for any, uh, of my, of my tricks trying to get him to say something <laughs> out of the ordinary, but um, it was a lot of trainer speak, but uh, he likes both of his horses. And I- I've just uh, seen that before a Baffert, not technically a Baffert anymore with speed carrying it for a mile and a half or a mile and a quarter. So um, I'm not tossing that horse either. So toss one former Baffert, keep the other former Baffert. Okay, that was that was good. Not a good non-touty response. We got some of your <laughs> thoughts and general ideas without you going full on. I guarantee this horse is going to win. So that was that was well done. There's no guarantees in this <laughs> ridiculous race. There's 20 horses out there. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's always great talking to you, whether about uh, horse racing or any other subject. Uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast again, Jeremy. Glad to do it. Thank you. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And we had some wins. We had some losses. Our losses all came by the slimmest of margins. And we ultimately lost more than we won. So a pretty typical week for us, all things considered. Uh, I won two bets and lost two bets. Uh, I remained hot on NBA. Danny Green points over in game six against Toronto, cashed in the first half. And Jalen Brunson over got there as well. Those each won us 50 bucks. Unfortunately, I'm on a bit of a cold streak with boxing, and it continues 
continued, thanks to some judging I don't agree with. But of course, that's part of the risk when betting boxing. I had Amanda Serrano to beat Katie Taylor by decision. We also had a few bucks on the draw. It was an extraordinary fight. Serrano had Taylor almost out on her feet in the fifth round, but Taylor fought back. It went the distance. I thought Serrano won closely, but clearly could have seen scoring it a draw. Couldn't quite fathom scoring it for Taylor, but that's what two of the three judges did. So instead of a big win, we lose $90 across those two bets. Uh, John, you split your golf bets. You had both Woodland and Wise to make the top 20, and Wise did so easily, while Woodland missed it by one stroke, one putt that missed by two inches, as you informed me. Uh, Unfortunately for us, you had $75 on Woodland and $50 on Wise, so we lost $25 there. And then the brutally painful sweat we already discussed over six and a half wide receivers in the first round of the draft. We lost $110 on that. So that put us down $125 for the week. We're now in the hole $3,307. We also have $885 on hold and futures bets, leaving us with $5,808 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Yeah, literally two inches. Uh, Woodland hit a chip shot from 26 feet away uh, on the last hole, trying to get up and down. Knocks it nine feet past, misses the comebacker by that two inches. I mm. was surprised. He's a, he's good around the greens, and I was uh, I wasn't on TV because he wasn't in contention. But you know, looking at the uh, tracker, I was like, oh man, how did he miss that? <laughs> um, but I feel good about my, my golf picks of late. They've been doing well, so I'm gonna mm-hmm. go back there. Um, new course for the Wells Fargo event this week in Bethesda, Maryland. Now, BetMGM, which I prefer for top 20 picks because they don't chop the pot if you're part of a long list of players, say, tied 18th or 20th or whatever. Uh, they're only offering top 10 this week, I think, maybe because it's not a great field beyond Rory McIlroy. After last week, I called the event John Rahm and the 143 Dwarves, and the big fella indeed won, won that event in Mexico. So I checked a couple other sites to see if any top 20 odds were enticing enough for me to take a risk now with the chop possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the tour visited this course in 2017 and 2018, and the most consistent player overall was Aussie Mark Leishman, who also was in good form of late. So give me 50 on DraftKings. Leishman top 20 at minus 110. I also like unheralded American Russell Henley, who loves it when there's finally a course out there where it's not made for guys who just bomb their tee shots and they don't care where it goes. And Henley's also a 50-unit play here, top 20 at minus 110. Leading the tour this season in strokes gained, approaching the green. And that's the skill set you want in on this course. Henley will win. He hasn't won in five years, in fact. But he'll collect a nice check, and so will we. All right. But we do have to worry about chops with both of those, correct? Yeah, we do. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully it won't come to that. Um, no boxing bets for me this week. Um, there is a major yeah. fight Saturday, uh, Canelo versus Bivol, but I don't quite see value in any of the bets. So I'm not going to force it, especially as I've been on a little bit of a boxing betting losing streak. So instead, I'll stick with what's been working for me, NBA bets. Uh, we have Bucks celtics Game 3 in Milwaukee on Saturday in seven Bucks playoff games so far. The under has hit in every single one of them, all seven. Uh, That said, the line keeps dropping. It was down to 216 points in game two of this series. Now it's down to 213 and a half for game three. I still like the under. The first two games of this series saw 190 and 195 points scored. They're both excellent defensive teams. The Bucs have only had one game so far in the postseason in which they've allowed the other team to go over 100 points. Uh, Also, I'm guessing Marcus Smart plays in this one for Boston, which is good for the under. I think it's worth betting the under until it loses. So let's go $55 to win 50 under 213 and a half. And also... I like that we can now get plus money on the Bucks to win the series. They split in Boston, 
So they now have home court advantage. They have the best player in the series. I like them even without Chris Middleton. I wouldn't bet them at minus money right now, but uh, they're as high as plus 115. I think that offers value. So let's go $80 to win 92 on the defending champs winning this series. All right. And uh, I'm waiting back into the USFL for week four after I hit in week one. I'm happy to give 115 to win 100 to get the extra half point with the New Jersey Generals minus nine and a half over winless Pittsburgh on BetMGM. You know, I like to short bad teams and bad leagues and short seasons. You know, being 0-3 in a 10-game season doesn't exactly make some players work harder or other players be out for anything but themselves. So the toothless maulers get mauled on Saturday afternoon, I say, by the 2-1, two, two quarterback generals. My only fear is I could be one week too early to bury these maulers. Okay. And by the way, did you see that? I know we have the stars to win the title. Their quarterback, yeah. uh, uh, he might be done for the season. I saw oh, something to that effect. Ouch, so that, that one, that one's not looking great, but mm. we'll take uh, the, if the generals uh, do indeed cover this week, uh, that more than makes up for it. Yeah. Um, so I don't make many hockey bets uh, because I barely follow hockey, but similar to betting on the Bucks to win their series against the Celtics at plus money, I think the New York Rangers to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins is a good play, especially at the current prices after the Rangers lost in triple overtime in game one after having the winning goal wiped off in the third period. The Rangers went three and one against the Penguins during the regular season. They have the elite goalie in Shesterkin, who will be winning me big money on the Vesna Trophy soon. Uh, nearly every expert was picking the Rangers before the series began. And now that they're in a 1-0 hole, some books have them about plus 130, plus 135, and then I found them in one spot at plus 150. So with apologies to our friend and colleague, Gary Rothstein, Penguins fan, I got to take the Rangers here at plus 150. Let's bet $80 to win 120. I like that. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jeremy Balin. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. So you no doubt noticed that our podcast guest, Jeremy Balin, was ambivalent about the full launch of fixed odds betting at Monmouth Park on Saturday. It is a huge success in Australia, and they do have it in the UK as well. I'm kind of in the same boat as Jeremy, but it, it just reminds me of a decade ago when Atlantic City casino executives were sure that legalization of online casino gaming in the state would kill their business. But they eventually wised up to this by the time the online option launched in New Jersey in 2013. And their partnerships with online casinos, frankly, helped keep some of them afloat during the pandemic. When casinos in many states went months with no revenue at all, whereas uh, the casinos got a, a slice of the uh, online casino action. So this is kind of the parallel concern. Will fixed odds betting cannibalize the paramutual pools and ruin the industry? Now, with casinos, the fact was that the online players are not the same as the brick and mortar casino players. So signing up for online casino gave the Atlantic City casinos a rich database for marketing purposes. And eventually, well, you know, some of the online players' hairs will turn blue and they'll populate the slots parlors at those same casinos. It's sort of nature's way, I figure. So maybe this plays out the same way. Or it may play out like the newspaper industry in the 1990s. When a handful of old wealthy executives decided that, hey, offering the newspaper product for free online on this new internet thing was actually a really good idea because, well, just trust us, we're smarter than you. And I think we all know how that worked out. So uh, now a lot of horse racing lovers' eyes will be on Mammoth Park's grand experiment. I'll be on hand on Saturday to offer some very, very early returns. And until that time, everybody, gamble on.